0: What do you have? You learned anything about the new MacBook Pros?
1: Only a little bit. I've seen some stuff on Twitter, people talking about them. Um, you know, I don't think it was a coincidence that they compared it against the M1 so much in that keynote. I thought, I thought that was really interesting because it's like obviously that that tells you something about what their strategy is and like who they're aiming these computers at. And you know, it's not people that just bought an M2, but it also is interesting because the m3 really is not that much faster than the m2 the m3
0: max is supposed to be like 80 percent faster
1: yeah so the max is but the pro the the m3 pro is a really weird chip and it seems like it's like barely better than the m2 pro Mm -hmm. and it has worse memory bandwidth really yeah which is super weird
0: that is strange because the memory bandwidth has just been going up and up and up
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so it's the same on the m3 versus the m2 for the max chip but for the Pro, it's actually worse. It's like That's, 150 uh, gigs per second instead of 200.
0: These, they seem so much more clearly delineated. The Pro yeah. also has six efficiency cores. I don't know if you saw that. I
1: did. I missed that.
0: It has six cores for efficiency versus four on both the regular M3 and the M3 Max. Hmm. And so it's almost like it's it's geared towards people who just have business needs. They need it, but they want a Pro. Yeah. And they want it to be able to run forever. I bet it's going to have really good battery life.
1: Well, yeah. I think they said the new one, you know, the number they quoted was up to like 22 hours, which is Seriously? crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, Jesus. nuts. I mean, they seem like great computers. And I do feel like they're, they're working toward a simpler lineup, which is sorely needed. It's still Very much it's so. still a little confusing, but it's much better than it used There's to. be. There's
0: a lot less overlap of like, do I get this maxed out Pro or do I get this not maxed out Max
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mac? And I don't know, it was just it was it was hard to figure it out. And now it's pretty obvious of like where the Pro line ends, the Max line begins.
1: I think the weirdest thing that's still in the lineup is having a 15 inch MacBook Air and a 14 inch MacBook Pro, because they're pretty similar in price. Mm. And the pro screen is you know it's an inch smaller, but it's a much better screen. I think it's I think you get
0: a it's like it's an obvious benefit because you get all the pro things, you get the ports and the screen and all this sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, but they're but they're I think they're priced pretty similarly.
0: Yeah, they're going to be about the same
1: price. And so it's just like like that. That's the weird part of the lineup where it's like which of these do you get?
0: Yeah. Well, right now the air is just an M two. So yeah, I mean it's it's an obvious jump there, but I -hmm. don't know. The it seems like the the highest level M three max is has a more memory on it. it. has like extra memory channels or whatever. And then it's, it's just like that much faster memory compared to the yeah. lower tier M3 max. Like
1: mm-hmm. if you go all the way, the best chip is like clearly the best chip. Yeah. And especially, so you and I both have M1 max, the M3 max is like two and a half times faster. It's like crazy, yeah. crazy fast. It's absolutely nuts. But even with all that, I mean, i I'm excited to see this and you know I'm sure my next computer will be at least that good but I don't really feel like I need to upgrade no especially since like your computer is less you like you bought it less than a year ago yeah well <laughs> same same for you i mean yeah. but it's just like you know like i mean yeah we bought it less than a year ago but even even though this is like two generations farther it doesn't really feel like it. It's like a generation and a half yeah. farther, and it and and the M1 Max is so good that because we maxed out that config when we got it, like it's more than sufficient it's, for what we're doing. Yeah,
0: it's still just an unbelievably good computer. Yeah. What, how do you feel about the colors?
1: I that's the that's what I'm jealous of. I think I think, know, I think right? the black is super cool. Yep. I wish I had a black Man, one. And
0: when they released the black, I was like, yep. oh geez, everyone's mm-hmm. just gonna buy that computer just to get the black yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's
1: overdue. You know, nobody really likes space grain. Mean, come on.
0: So. I, I do feel like I made the right call when I bought my computer because I bought it as like a fire sale or something from B and H and so I got it for super, super yeah. cheap. Yeah. And then I was like, should I buy this? Should I not? And my final decision was basically the next time a Mac is this cheap is gonna be over a year later because I was thinking that the M3s were gonna come out to like next March and then mm-hmm. yeah, I'd have to wait for it'd be like a year and a half and I was like, I need a new computer. This year, and so that's kind of what made me pull the trigger. Yeah, I don't regret doing that, but it's interesting to think that like, oh, the M 2s just came out. I have another year and a half before the next computers, and it was like six months. Yeah, yeah, it is. You never, you just never know. That yeah. happened to me last time I bought a computer though, because in twenty sixteen I bought my Mac, and then they came out with a new one in like March.
1: Yeah, or something. Some weird time.
0: Yeah. I was like, what do you? What are we doing here, guys?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean. Unless we start doing really, you know, like like unless we take a big step forward in like dealing with raw footage or, you or know. Or Fusion even. Like yeah. if we did a lot more True. Fusion stuff. True. But
0: even still, the M1 Max handles yeah. that like a champ.
1: But I mean, unless something really changed, I feel like the computer I have now is gonna be good for a couple more years. And the rumors I've been seeing are that maybe in like 2025 or something, they might have uh, OLED screens on the MacBooks. Yeah. Which I would, be good. I would probably upgrade for that. Um, so I'll be happy if that's a couple of years away and, Yeah. you know, I, I also got a refurb, uh, M1 max. I didn't get as good of a deal as you did, but like, I still feel good about it in the sense that like I paid way below market value for yeah. that. So
0: yeah, that was all worth it. Yeah, man. I was, I had a different topic in here for the pre-show, uh, to recap the interview that we just shot and like literally just shot today. <laughs> and I was like, we can't talk about, we can't talk about max. People are going to think well, like <laughs> Apple guys or something, and yeah, this is a camera podcast. We just can't do it. But it just happened to it us. It just it ha- there's just it's just so interesting. I'm like, mm. the, it just ha-
1: I feel bad. Yeah. Well, we're we're still in the pre-show. We haven't uh, we haven't kicked it off yet. That's so true. so do you? I mean, we did just shoot an interview. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: It's almost like the pre-show doesn't count. It's like we can just do whatever we want. Yeah.
1: It's not the <laughs> real show. There are yet. no rules in the pre-show. And
0: no rule pre-show. We don't want to talk about cameras. In the pre-show. That's the that's the point. <laughs> that's literally the point. Just warming up. Yeah. That's all we're doing. I thought the interview went went pretty good. I feel like our, our setup is getting more and more complex. Because the first time, like we were working on a series of interviews. And the first time we shot one, I was like, I can fit everything for this interview in my 45 liter peak design backpack. Including like my key light and everything. Because I was using the Amaran, uh, whatever, COB60X something yep yeah and so i was like boom whole set up in one bag and now it's like well i'm gonna bring my separate light and now i've put that line its own containers and now i have two light containers and then i'm gonna go ahead and like bring the light stand and a sandbag. and then i have my bag rigged out with way too many lenses because i'm only gonna use one i'm gonna bring all my lenses and now we're like booming the booming the secondary mic overhead because of the mic failure we had in that other one
1: and it's just it's gotten it's yeah. gotten a little out of hand. It's funny because it's it's gotten out of hand, but I also feel like we've gotten smoother with our setup to where we kind of know what we need to do. We know what all needs to get set up. And I feel like even though we've added more stuff, it really hasn't gotten any more stressful. I do think
0: that our setup time for this one and our setup time for the first one it was basically the same. Like we yeah. were up in 20 minutes and that was with three – I'm going to call it three cameras because I mean, it was an iPhone. But still, three cameras, two lights, two mics, mm-hmm. and – Wait, like we even caught all like the weird things of like, gotta get the light coming out of that doggy door. Yeah, and like, oh, this person's gonna wear a hat, so let's put a bounce in it. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, I feel like we nailed it, Daniel. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean we haven't will. edited it yet. <laughs> yeah. So I can say that <laughs> we may be declaring victory a little early here, but yeah, I think it, think it was good. I think it went well. So I was, I was really happy with my uh, camera rig setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like having that doctor bag and then my. New rig that I've set up where I can fit the monitor on the rig and still fit it in that bag. Like it just feels like I can just pull that thing out of the bag and set it on the tripod and it's ready to go.
0: That's that's pretty great. Yeah. I've been working towards having a monitor set up going and I have like you gave me that other that new power junkie. And so mm-hmm. now I have like a base rig that I can just drop my my camera into. But I have yet to have a reason to use the base rig because I gotta like attach the base rig and the battery and the monitor and like it's a lot to set up for yep. if I'm gonna put the camera on a tripod. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yep. So my my rig situation is still in flux as always. I feel like that's that's every camera person. Like you need a t-shirt that just says my rig situation is in flux. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that was a big motivation for me to get mine to where I could just like drop it into a bag and not have to build mm-hmm. it on site. Because I like having the V-mount and having that, like, I like having that extra battery power and not having, you know, a bunch of different batteries everywhere. I like the V-mount solution a lot. But but it was always annoying getting to the setup and like, let me build this whole thing and plug in all these cables and stuff. And so that was kind of why I wanted to do that. Are you using that dummy battery now? Uh, No, I didn't use the dummy battery. I, I haven't. I haven't worked up the courage to use that yet. Okay. Who, um, who makes that? that? That's me by Blindspot. So Blindspot now has a dummy
0: battery that actually
1: fits in the X-H2S, which was yeah. kind of a big to, deal. To, to where you can, you can put it in and you can pop that little rubber grommet out and you mm-hmm. can actually close the battery door because the previous ones, you could not do that. You had to leave the battery door open.
0: Which that means it'll work for the X-T5 and the X-T4 as well. Yeah. So that's really good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's a big improvement um but you haven't used it yet. i haven't used it yet i want to test and see what like the camera should save the file if it loses power during yes. the recording but I, I want to try that you know i don't want to, just want to rely on that yeah uh,
0: it, it does i have okay i have seen that happen but i think you should test that out and i also think you should do some like i don't know 4k 120 or 4k 60 like or shooting raw or something and yeah just like stress really tests. stress it out and yeah. see if it
1: fails yeah what i did today was just run a um uh, a USB-A from my V-mount plate to the USB-C input on the camera. Mm -hmm. And that actually kept the battery at 100%. You were having uh, buzzing issues with that, weren't you? Yeah, I was, but it is so quiet that... Well, so, okay, so two things. I was having buzzing issues at one point, but that's so quiet that you're not actually going to hear it you know, in any real environment. Sure. But the buzzing issue I was getting was when I plugged the uh, USB into the battery, into the small rig V-mount battery. Now I have a V-mount plate where the plate has... A bunch of power outputs on it, and then you just like drop the V mount into it, and the plate doesn't have that problem.
0: That's interesting. It's almost like the plate has a better voltage regulator yeah, or something on yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I think so. So, uh, that I, when I got the small rig V mount, I thought it was going to be an improvement of like this already has all these outputs on it, and I won't need a V mount plate, and that's great, you know. And I, I thought that was going to be cool, and maybe it's still useful if like you just need to power one thing, but I realized like. For one thing, that battery has some limitations where you can't actually run all those outputs at once. But the bigger problem is, you know, if you've got a rig and you have that battery in the rig, like you don't want to have to plug in four cables to your battery to get it going. And so the the advantage of using like a V-mount plate is that you have this like quick release thing where you can yep. slide it in and you already have all your cables hooked up. Yeah, that's what does seems a lot better.
0: Yeah, and V-mount's the right battery choice mm-hmm. basically every time. Yeah. I really need some V-mount batteries in my life and like have a V-mount rig and a V-mount and my light running on V-mount and all that stuff, but they're so expensive, Daniel. It is.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the plate is like that, that plate I was just talking about was, you know, 80 bucks or something by itself mm-hmm. and then you need the battery. And, and if you yeah. get a, you want a good, I mean, the,
0: the smaller ones are good, but if you want a good battery, you're going to spend upwards of $200, mm-hmm. $500, yep. depends yep. on how much capacity, but still.
1: Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a downside, but they, they seem cool. I will say uh, we used the DJI mic. No issues with that. Again, okay. Um, so far. I mean, I, I was I was monitoring audio from that the whole mm-hmm. time. You know, I, I could hear problems before and I didn't hear any problems. So We
0: had a cutout last time we used it. And then the time before that was whenever we had the audio drift issue. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's like, what's causing that? Is, mm-hmm. is it a disconnection between the transmitter and the receiver or
1: is it something else? Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, I still don't. I still don't trust those things. As we record this, the deity Theos is like shipping now, oh. and so I'm just waiting to see some reviews. And I still want to go that route. But yeah,
0: I think we need to. It's going to make everything better. Yeah. So my shirt idea would have like a like a camera, like a DSLR, like a mirrorless style camera, like sitting on a plate with like some 15 millimeter rods, and then like a handle on top, and then like another handle and some little. Uh, you know, like L-style Allen wrenches, kind of like laying strewn about, with, like all the little rigged pieces. And Kind of like a half built rig, and then it would say, uh, My rig situation is in flux right now, and maybe be like on a black shirt and white and post
1: that would be great. Yeah, if, if we were at the level of doing uh, t shirts for this podcast, I feel like I that mean, would be. I that mean, would who, be right says, there. who says we're not, Daniel? Maybe we should be.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm gonna put that on the list of things yeah. I need to work on. Yeah, good plan. All the other if things. you're
1: listening to us and you want that shirt, send us an email. Yeah, that sounds good. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video.
0: Do you know those really cheesy bad shirts that are like the legend or whatever? And they'll say that on, on on the shirt and then it'll make either a bad joke or a crude joke.
1: I don't know. Doesn't matter. No. Okay.
0: Well, um, I, one of our other shirt options is we could put like a knocked on a shirt and then underneath
1: it we could put the legend. <laughs> that one's a little <laughs> bit more niche. Like I thought the first idea was niche. That one's, that one's really niche. Yeah. I mean, one, you'd have to recognize
0: what a knocked looks yeah. like just mm. by the silhouette of the shape. Oh. We, would do, <laughs> oh. we would do the newer one because it has a more distinct shape yeah. than the older mm. one. But the, re- the reason I bring this up, Daniel, is because... Uh, I have a legendary lens for you.
1: <laughs> I was about to say, you know, you're, you're saying that you're pitching this as a short idea. We don't do legendary lenses on this show anymore.
0: It's been so long. No, Daniel, we're working our way up to
1: 100. And, and what are we on now? Seven, maybe? Is today seven? I think this is six. Oh, yep. more, worse than I
0: thought. And once again, I forgot to name the segment, uh, which I will, I will come up with one as I list the previous segments to you. So you don't forget. Okay. So we had, uh, Handmade Perfection, which was the FD55 Canon canon lens, which is also like the K35 lenses. And then we had uh, the Pentagon 135 F2, which is the King of Bokeh. And then we had the Noct, which was Seeing in the Dark. Helios Prime and the Swirly Boys, which was the Helios 44-2. And then we had the Carl Zeiss Ultron 50mm 1.8, which is, they don't make them like they used to. I feel like I'm missing one. Didn't we have one more? I don't know, man. This is your corner. It is my corner. I really need to be have better better logs. I have to go back and listen to episodes sometimes just to find the. <laughs>
1: <final>. <laughs> that could take a really long time. You've got yeah, to listen boy. to the entire year plus backlog of this show to find out what you talked about. Uh, yep. So this one, I think I'm gonna name it.
0: I think I'm gonna name it. Uh, like, probably we're gonna call it the legend. I mean, they can't. They can't this, all be the. legend. No, Daniel. This. This is the like this is the top of the pile. So this this lens that I'm going to tell you about is so legendary that if you go onto like our cinematography and you bring up this lens, they're going to kick you out cuz it's so cliché. <laughs> we haven't covered this lens on this podcast because just talking about it is a little too on the nose. Mm. Like it's just it's just like, "Oh, you're going to have like a legendary lens list." <sighs> it's probably just going to be like the Zeiss Planar 50 millimeter 0. 0.7 for like two
1: hours, and here we are, and here we are, <laughs>
0: starting for a <Buckle> um, lot.
1: <laughs> two hours, here we go. <laughs> All right, so tell me about this
0: lens. All right, so this is the Zeiss Planar 50 millimeter 0. 0.7.
1: Is 0. 0.7 the f stop?
0: Yes, f 0.
1: 0.7. That's uh, I didn't know that was possible.
0: This is a very fast lens. Now, there's a lot of uh a lot of this and that kind of around the topic of this lens. In particular, if I found, I found two different sauces on the internet, one of which was Wikipedia and then other things that appeared to just be quoting Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that classic like someone said something, but there's no actual proof that that's the thing, but everyone keeps repeating what the other people said, and you can't really find the original source. And then you have to like go into the forest of all knowledge. and like find. This, I'm not a news person. I'm not CPG gray. Like I'm not, I'm not going down to the bottom here. But what I will tell you is that some people say, and some people say opposite is that Zeiss originally designed this lens to take pictures of the dark side of the moon. <laughs> that's that's quite the uh that's quite the claim and the ru- rumor has it that they designed this lens for NASA for satellites in the 60s to take pictures of megatron on the dark side of the moon <laughs> this is pretty cool yeah pretty cool if it's true they made 10 of them
1: like and like 10 total
0: 10 like we, we've talked about that 1200 millimeter 5.6 mm-hmm and how there was like 20 or something. Yeah, this is half that. Half. Exactly. I mean, this one, they didn't have to hand grow the crystals, but still. Seven of them were made for NASA. Three of them were made for Stanley Kubrick.
1: I'm not. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yes.
0: So, he's like, apparently like Stanley Kubrick learned about this lens. And he's like, I want this lens. And so, he talked to his photo guy and he's like, is impossible if it's not a real lens he's like call carl zeiss (laughs) call
1: carl (laughs) first name basis so he called
0: like the head of photography at zeiss which i'm gonna wait for you to take a drink because you're gonna lose it dr camera
1: (laughs) that can't be a real name
0: so it's the k-a-m-m-e-r-e-r camera but it's in german so you say camera i don't believe (laughs) literally dr camera (laughs) it's too good And he was like, I need these lenses for my movie, uh, which is, I think Barry Lyndon is the movie. Okay. he's like, I got to shoot this. I got to shoot this scene lit only by candles. Mm. And I need this lens because it's 0.7. Yep. And I want three of them or whatever. (laughs) So the guy like bought one of these lenses and then they take it back and they go to their guy, Ed D. Gio or whatever his name is, to like, hey, can we use this lens To shoot video. And he's like, no, because the like the focal distance between like the back of the lens and the film is like five millimeters. And I would have to like build a totally custom configuration on your camera. Like I have to rip your camera apart and build a custom mount just for this lens in order to make it work. (laughs) And then I would essentially destroy your camera and you could only use it with this lens. I don't don't see the problem. That that's it. That's actually a direct (laughs) quote from Stanley. (laughs) I don't see the problem. (laughs) give me three (laughs) and those we has three and he like built these custom cameras just so they could shoot this scene which they had to like get like special special candles that had three wicks in them that burn extra bright so they could do this candlelit scene with their natural lighting with their 0.7 lens man and i'm gonna there's a part in here that i need to i need to read to you uh, the diameter lens was so large that it would have just barely fit into the BNC lens port, leaving no room for the additional focusing shell. As a consequence, we had to design a focusing arrangement so that the entire lens barrel rotated freely in the lens port. The problem with the close proximity of the rear element in the film plane was much more difficult matter to resolve. To begin, they we removed the adjustable shutter blade, leaving the camera with only a fixed maximum opening. And we had to machine a body housing around the aperture plate at a considerable distance inwards so that the fixed shutter blade could be pulled back as far as possible towards the film plane. Man, so that's a lot of work. So it's stuck at 0.7, and then they have to rotate the barrel of the lens in order to focus it. And then there's something with the
1: shutter, too, where they mm-hmm. had to... Man, that yeah, that's not...
0: Yeah, uh, so like it's, it's not. A very custom They basically job. had to do like a like instead of doing a, like a standard shutter, they had to do a custom shutter in order mm-hmm. to make it work. Man, that's wild. Yeah, it is wild, Daniel. And uh, one of these recently sold at auction in 2021. Oh, intre- I was, Wow, this is the part where you guess how much this lens sold oh, for. Man. It's less than the one where we talked about. It was the most expensive lens ever purchased.
1: Yeah, that one was more. That, that one was like six hundred and fifty thousand or something. Something like something that, yeah. crazy. I think I'm going to go with a quarter million, 250. Actually, less. You could get this thing for a steal, right around one hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. I mean, I guess the problem though is that you like you don't have a camera that can run this thing. Right? Yeah, there's no way.
0: Yeah. This is just for the, just for the street cred.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just put that on the shelf. Never use it.
0: So it, it's hard to find a, a lens that quite exceeds this one as far as it's renowned in the <laughs> uh, cinematography community.
1: That's really interesting.
0: or. In the space community, yeah, mm-hmm. a- allegedly,
1: yeah, no one, no one knows. It's all classified or something. Yep. So
0: you might be able to see one of these at a museum, and that's about it. You'll never own one. Wow. Probably you'll probably never own
1: one. You know, it's. I know this. I know we're talking about the lens, but like that story about modifying the camera just kind of makes me think about how, like, at some level, to be a director, I feel like you have to be very confident in your vision. And, you know, because, I mean, he he was clearly like, I have to shoot this scene by candlelight, so I need this lens. And then that, you know, like initiated all this work to make this thing possible. And I'm sure that work wasn't cheap back then. And I feel like you really have to believe in your vision and be confident in what you're doing to push for all that instead of like, you know, I feel like most people would say, oh, well, we'll just add lights or something so we can use an existing lens that fits on an existing camera. Right, right. So... I think that's interesting. I feel like I don't have that personality.
0: It's, it's a lot like in most cinematography, like you, you're picking your camera based upon what you're shooting and like what your creative vision is. And then you're picking your lenses in the same way. Like mm-hmm. the uh, the Batman movie, who did that? It was, um, was it Ryan Johnson? Is that right? Yeah, I
1: think he's done one of the Batmans. Yeah.
0: So like that movie that just came out where they had, they took those Airy lenses and they like detuned them or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because and, they wanted
1: that certain look.
0: Yeah, maybe they weren't Aries. So maybe there's something else. But like they detuned them for a certain look. Like you're picking the lens for your look and you're picking the camera. And then now you're like, yeah, we'll have a lens and we'll have a camera. And then you just have to figure out how to put them together, which is why like all these cinema cameras have adjustable mounts and it's like you're making creative decisions based upon the tools you want to use to do the thing. Yeah. And that's why Canon should open up the RF mount.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a lot different than how most of us think about cameras and lenses Mm -hmm. because, you know, like we tend to buy a camera because it has some features we want or it's the price we want. And then we basically just buy lenses that fit that camera. Right. And there's not really this idea of like, it's like the gear is coming before the creative vision. Right. You know, uh, instead of this where it's more like I'm going to pick this lens for a certain look and then figure out how to make that work. And maybe it's just a budget thing. Maybe it's because they have the money for that and we don't. But I think that's interesting that I feel like most people making like YouTube videos or whatever now are not really thinking in that same way.
0: It feels like that's the Neville, like that's leather I was going to say level and next step at the same time. So that's the Neville, uh, Next, next step on like if you're becoming more of a creative and like making movies or making like doing photography and that sort of thing, it's like you are kind of seeing and deciding like what's the image or whatever I want to make, and then like once you have that in your head, now that's the point of like oh I need a lens that has more swirl character characteristic or I need something that's softer or sharper, and then now you're looking for the things that can help you realize that. Yeah, and it feels like that's a more advanced way of considering. Photography and cinematography and, and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's at least putting the, the look and the art side of it ahead of the technical side. Yep. know. So, oh, it's interesting.
0: It is interesting. It reminds me that you still need to buy a, a black mist
1: filter. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I am still interested in that. But man, those things are so expensive. I mean... At least you don't have to, like, custom fit one to, like, go onto your lens. You can just screw it on there. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't have to, like, re-engineer a camera just to get it to fit. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I need to get on that.
0: So that's it. What do you
1: think, Daniel? Zeiss planer 50 millimeter 0.7. I mean, I think it's cool, but, and, and it's got some neat history with the whole NASA thing. But I guess something that takes away from it a little bit for me is that that's not something that most people can realistically use now.
0: True, but you can buy some manual focus lenses that are like 0.9, 0.95. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've fast. seen those. Mm-hmm.
1: You can buy those with all kinds of mounts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 0.7 is just, it's nuts. Well, that's the one thing that I forgot to look up is like how many stops faster is 0.7 than like 1.8. Mm, yeah,
1: because it's got to be, you know, as you get closer to zero, it's almost like they, they like it it's more stops than it would sound,
0: but I don't know. I just don't know if you can find a chart yeah, that, probably goes, not. that goes down. I'd have to literally do the math.
1: That sounds exhausting.
0: Doesn't it? About 1.88 stops faster than a 1.4 lens. Wow. Is what this f-stoppers thing says as I skim through. Well, it's pretty fast. So, yeah, that's a, what, like 1.6 stops? Roughly like one and two-thirds of a stop, give or take. Yeah.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Pretty good. And then I think a 1.4 is like two-thirds from 1.8, so... Wow, that's like the jump from 1.8 to f4. <laughs> that's
1: that's crazy. It's
0: pretty significant. Mm-hmm. I feel like we don't need, I mean, I'm going to say something crazy here, Daniel. I feel like we don't need lenses that fast right now because sensor sensitivity has gotten so good. Yeah, I mean, We're talking like, sure, you might shoot that on. You want it really clean, you might shoot on like 800 ISO film or something back, back in the 60s, which I didn't say this is a 1966 lens and it has no aspherical elements. Because as you know, the Carl's Ice lens that we talked about previously, that was later, was the first lens uh-huh. with ace okay. elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you pay attention to the show, Dan, you're yeah. going to learn so much. I need to keep up. Yeah, you sure do. Point is, I feel like with a 1.2 lens or a 1.4, like you can see T1.2s all the time. Yeah. Like that with something that has a you know a dual gain or a second base ISO up to whatever, like 12,800. I feel like you can get, or even like 1,600 ISO. I think you could probably get the same effect of like candle lit shot and have it look decent with a digital sensor that has a much more sensitive, you know, element in it with a 1.4 compared to a a 0.7.
1: Well, and you also run into the problem with the, um, you know, a lot of log profiles require uh, a high base ISO or they just perform better at a high base ISO. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're trying to shoot at 0.7, that's a lot of light coming in. I mean, we, We've run into situations where it's like we need an ND to get mm-hmm. the look we want with those lenses shooting F-Log2 with its uh, 1250 base ISO. And so, I mean, that you can, go, you can buy a fast lens and stop it down. But that's kind of a reason why you don't necessarily need the fastest lens. Right. You need to make decisions based upon, like, what's my focus range and how
0: much yeah. light's coming in and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You can't just set it to wide open, yeah. unless it is this f point seven, and then you only set it to wide yeah. open.
1: Yeah, because you you can't you literally can't change it when exactly you, uh, when you wedge it onto your camera.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, isn't that how some of us some of us act? I mean, I got some lenses yeah, in there that I like just it. I
1: mean, I put gaff tape over the yeah. uh,
0: over the aperture ring because I'm like, why am I ever going to set this higher than 1.4? <laughs> 1, 1, you would
1: want to accidentally set it to one point eight. Yeah, or yeah. even one point
0: six. Oh. But, ugh, what are we what are we doing here? <laughs> Anyway, that's my legendary lens. Pretty cool.
1: I hope you're happy. Do you remember what you call that segment?
0: I called it I called it like the legend, which was really stupid. But, you know, I feel stupid even talking about this lens because it's so cliche to bring it up. So, a stupid name for a yeah. stupid lens. Lo- it's not stupid. It's great. You're
1: losing street cred the longer you talk.
0: I, re- I really am. Like, that's why I'm not gushing over it, Daniel. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty cool. Yeah, you're
1: trying to play it off. Yeah like, psh, yeah. yeah like whatever like
0: we we were gonna cover this eventually because we have to mm-hmm. we're just checking a yeah. box here guys you know this one went to
1: space it's not Ugh. really that big of a deal allegedly like, yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> we don't even know if it we went to space we just, just supposedly they built
1: seven for NASA yep
0: what have you built for NASA
1: <laughs> <laughs> not that yeah I've actually 3D printed some stuff for NASA though. So, okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. I'll take it all back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably didn't go to space. Hasn't been to the dark side of the moon. Sure, sure. I don't have a segue here. Yeah, that was uh that was just uh just a whole segment. We could
0: take a strategic break and then and then go into or we could just we could just dive into it.
1: now well, let's do that. <laughs> 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 that was n- <laughs> That was not what I expected it to be at all. <laughs> I thought that was my camera shutter yeah, sound. Yeah, that is
0: the wrong button. <laughs> wow, well, people really love that segment. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, how do you want to intro this this next segment about this backpack? That's a good question. Is it wrong to talk about a Peter McKinnon project project product on on this podcast?
1: I don't think it's wrong. I mean, we did just talk about a lens that people say is cliche, and I kind of feel like to an extent, being a camera person who has a Peter McKinnon branded bag is a little bit of a cliche. So I think it kind of fits with where we're at. It's funny to me how how that works. It's like
0: there's like camera bags and like ND, variable ND filters and those sorts of things aren't new like we've been around forever. It's not like it's like like all of a sudden a new thing, but it feels like sometimes you want to buy something that is like a recognizable brand or you know is going to be of a high quality and you like, you don't want to have to deal with doing the research mm-hmm. and like digging through Amazon reviews or forums to find out which, you know, variable ND isn't going to give you like magenta, you know, shift at certain angles or yeah like you want a backpack that's going to last and it's going to work and it's like, there's so many different weird brands and it's just, it's hard to know, like look at the brand and know, okay, this is going to be good, which I feel like is why Peak Design has been successful is because it's like, you recognize the name and it stands for a reputable brand with high quality. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of like clothing manufacturers and bag manufacturers that have those sort of things. And I feel like Peter McKinnon's pairings with Nomadic is like, I know this is going to be a good product that works. And so you can just kind of like, say, okay, I don't have to do research. I know this is going to be good and then just buy it. Yeah, And I think like, you know, like Polar Pro and and Tiffin and companies like that kind of had the same cachet to them. Is that the right word? And it's like, you kind of just want to not have to deal with all the research and obsess over it like we do.
1: And I mean, I think that's always been the reason, like that's one of the reasons why creators do or anybody does like signature products? I mean, right? I mean, from their perspective, obviously they're doing it to make money. You know, like Peter McKinnon's getting kickback. You know, from every Peter McKinnon bag that gets sold, you know? right? And so, I mean, that's his motivation to do it. But I feel like the reason products like that work is because people will see that name and you know maybe they buy it because they think it's cool. But I think there's also a a, a degree of what you're saying where you know if it's somebody that you've been following for a long time you think they probably wouldn't want to tank their name by putting their name on something bad so you think it's probably good and i i do think that kind of like lends some credibility to a product Yeah. yeah.
0: i mean i trust it you have a peter
1: mckinnon bag that's yeah. a 20
0: liter 2025
1: mm-hmm. 20, i think right
0: and it seems great
1: yeah and i i got it i mean i I've, I've watched peter mckinnon for a long time i would say i used to like his his videos more and now I don't like them quite as much. I still I still watch them. I still think they're entertaining. I think it's been cool to see him come from.
0: Like I think I'm gonna be a hipster here and say I subscribed before he hit a million. Uh huh. And it's been cool to see him like really commit to the channel and, and see it grow.
1: So, yeah, yeah. I'm, and, I'm into it. And he's changed a lot throughout well, uh, that. Yeah, well, who thing. doesn't? It's a, it's yeah, a, yeah. But it's a I mean, it's, it's been neat to see that. You know. Yeah. But, um. But I didn't buy the bag because you know, like I want to be Peter McKinnon by right. any means. I, I did like the way it looked which you know maybe that's like that was kind of like his you know his look back then and that's you know that's kind of why maybe he designed it that way but I like the way the bag looked I like the features of it um, and I've been really happy with it I've had that for about a year now and it's been great I use it a lot and I don't have any complaints so right yeah. and like the reason it's important to talk about that specific bag is that
0: what we want to, what I want to talk about today because I'm just obsessed with bags. Is this new Nomadic eighteen liter, which is a part of their like Luma camera collection? Yeah. And so like they're coming, they're rolling out new bags, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're and, and it is a Peter McKinnon. They are Peter McKinnon yeah. bags because Nomadic isn't really a camera bag company. So like mm-hmm. any of their camera stuff is just Peter McKinnon camera stuff, and which fine. Like Nomadic bags are good; they make solid stuff, and so they like have this new collection of bags, and it's like here's a couple slings, and like here's some. Here's an 18 liter backpack and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think this one's interesting because to me, this is a direct competitor to the Brevetti backpack.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. So, you know, what stood out to me is it's a little bit cheaper than, so the, the that's the thing is like these counter bags can be pretty expensive. I Mine yep. was pretty high. Your peak design was pretty high. This is coming in, I think at a lower price point. And it also seems like it has like a more casual look to it. And so I think your comparison to something like the Brevet A is pretty accurate.
0: Yeah. So this thing is, the one that we're talking about here is their 18 liter camera pack. It comes in a few different colors and it's 185 on Kickstarter right now. And then Mm -hmm. it's going to be 220 whenever it releases for MSRP.
1: And I don't remember how much my 25 liter was. I think, I think it, you got
0: it on sale for under two hundred, but it
1: retails for over two hundred. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then like the Breveti, which is I'm comparing it to, is like one sixty or one thirty, mm-hmm. depending upon if you get it on sale. Yeah, and it's like that seems like it's all expensive for bags, but honestly, like once you get into something that is like nine hundred D nylon, it has some waterproof coatings on it, and has YKK zippers, then you're just like that's just kind of becomes the cost of this yeah. stuff, and it's like easy to justify at least for me in that. Man, I have eight thousand dollars of camera
1: equipment that I'm going to put into a bag. (laughs) I better trust that bag. Well, and I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of where you want to go with this, but I guess do you do you think that's? I don't know where I'm going, Daniel. Do you think that's worth the cost? I mean, like, you know, you've owned a lot of. We both owned a lot of backpacks over time. I mean, I've I've purchased twenty dollar camera backpacks before, and then now we both have multi hundred dollar backpacks. I know you really like your bag. I really like mine, but. I mean, do you think that it's actually justifiable to spend that much on a bag?
0: I think it depends upon the bag. And that like saying like that much, like a hundred to three hundred dollars for a backpack, there are some bags that I mean you're talking six six hundred dollar range, right? Mm-hmm. Like there there's a high end out there. And like this is I feel like a hundred to three hundred is a reasonable range for something that's gonna like protect your gear. Yeah. And like for me, I I'm not like a big like buy it for life kind of person but i do like being able to spend a little more like maybe i'll spend 50 percent or 100 more on something if i know that it's going to last me and i'm not going to have to replace it in a year and i've kind of grown more and more about like in that way towards bags even though i keep buying more bags because i really like bags but like my peak design one that was i can't remember how much that thing cost it was like 200 something dollars May it may have been a, as high as 300 yeah I think it probably was but that 45 liter has I'm like touching it right now like my child because I love it so much uh, I like I've had that for a year and I have it has been absolutely worth every penny for me because of like it's it's waterproof and it protects all my gear and I've been using it for travel and for camera stuff and I'm using this thing all the time and it's like it's durable it's held up it hasn't like frayed I haven't broken zippers I'm gonna knock on wood. Like it's been really good and like they have a lifetime warranty. And so I feel like I've gotten my money out of it. And so something like this where it's like here's Pneumatic's new Peter McKinnon slim backpack for like your daily and or your camera stuff, 200 bucks. Like if that's your daily bag and you know that you need something you can rely on and the strap's not going to break and it's going to be comfortable and like it's going to be able to fit all your gear and it's going to protect it, I feel like it's worth it.
1: Yeah. And I do think, I mean, Not everybody's in a position to buy a $200 backpack. That's totally fine. For a long time, I don't think either of us really were. But I do think one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, you mentioned earlier, you're going to put, you know, $8,000 of camera gear in it. That's probably not that much of an exaggeration. You know, if you've got a a counter body and a couple of lenses, monitor, you know, all that stuff, it adds up quick. And, uh, you know, it probably is worth considering, you know, like percentage wise, You know, how much have you spent on your gear versus how much have you spent on what you're using to carry that gear? And so in that sense, I think it makes sense.
0: One of the things that always gets me about backpacks that I've kind of grown to understand more as like I've purchased more bags is like the like the capacity. And this is an eighteen liter. So I have a twenty or nineteen liter Timbuktu bag, which is, you know, their medium size. And then I bought my Brevetti, which is eighteen liters. And I had just come back from a trip and I had like a camera snoop in there with my camera gear, like, like two lenses and a camera and like a laptop and some other stuff. Cause I had that thing packed to the brim and I took everything out of it and I put it in my brand new brevetti backpack and it all fit exactly. And I was like, Oh, I'm not actually saving any space because I took 18 liters of crap out of this thing and put 18, put 18 liters into this other bag and it's exactly 18 liters of space. And so it's like, These things can be deceptive, in my opinion, as far as they offer, like you can find the coolest bag that offers more organization. Like you can buy a, like a Peak Design everyday backpack that has like three tiers and you can open it up from every side and everything has its perfect spot. Or you can buy something like the Moment backpack, which is just a giant volume. And if they're the same literage, literage? sure, then you're going to be able to put the same amount of stuff in there and it's like... You're not going to, the organization just isn't going to grant you more space. And I feel like it's easy to get trapped in the thought of looking at something like this, where it's like, oh, you can move these dividers around and everything can be perfectly organized. You're like, oh, wow, I'm going to fit more things in this than my current bag. And it's like, if your current bag's the same size, it's going to fit the same amount of stuff.
1: Yeah. But I do think that there's value in the organization in terms of how quickly you can access stuff. I mean, I that is something I care about when I look at bags. It's like, how do I, you know, what compartments does this give me? How do I access it in that way? And, you know, what What options do I have for organizing it? I, I do think that matters.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about this one a little bit. I'm really just focusing on the backpack because I find that's the most interesting thing. There is like some slings and that sort of stuff and we can throw a link in the show notes. But I think what's interesting about this one is that it is a it is like a daily version of the 25 liter that you have. Like it's very, very similar to the existing 25 liter Peter McKinnon and they they like slimmed it up. So it's it's an even lower profile. Yeah. And so like if you have lenses for the 25 liter that you're like setting straight up, now you like this this looks more like a like a four-inch bag instead of a instead of like a five-inch bag or even a six or seven inch bag as far as depth. Mm -hmm. And so you're probably gonna have to lay most of your lenses down unless you have like shorter primes and that's going to end up taking up more space. And it just it feels like this is really geared towards maybe like a camera and up to 3 lenses, which is essentially the same deal as the Brevetti. The nice thing about this is that it has this main like you have your stuff compartment and your camera compartment, and then it has this divider velcro thing which is like all your other dividers but slightly different that you can move up or down to like reduce your camera volume or increase your yeah, camera volume
1: the uh the one i have kind of has that it, it's not a velcro thing but it's like a Hard to describe. They're like
0: inserts, right? They're like little like well, yeah, five-sided cube inserts. Well, there's
1: that, but then like mine also, you can change how much is accessible from the top and how much is from the inside.
0: Yeah, so it's it's very similar to that where yeah. it's like this yours is like an L-shaped thing that mm-hmm. can pop one way or the other and essentially gives you two-thirds for stuff or two-thirds for camera. Gear. Right. This one seems to be a little more flexible and like you can kind of pick any position. But I think that like the important thing to note here is the main back volume, because this is a slimmer bag is the only volume. yeah. And that's something that I noticed a lot with these these slimmer backpacks. I had a cheap one that I bought from Amazon for a period of time that I bought because it was slim. And what I found was that I could only fit, I could only basically use the main volume. And if I had anything extra that I was like, oh, I'll just slide this into the front pocket or the top pocket, it's like I could fit very small things or very flat things. And this looks like the same deal to me where you're not really going to put a lot of stuff in here. It's, yeah. it's a pretty limited limited size, which is really all you need for a daily. And so I'm kind of like wondering exactly, you know, who this is for. And I think the answer is, this is a daily backpack. It's not a travel bag. It's not a, an event bag or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Cause like, that's how I mostly use mine is basically as an event bag where it's not big enough to travel. I can't put my clothes and my camera stuff in it.
0: And like, what you mean by event is like, you're, you're going to go shoot, you know, a thing of like, I need a good handful of gear to bring to this event that i'm gonna shoot i
1: mean we we shot an interview today and that was one of the bags i brought good example. example lenses and some other gear in it and it's perfect for that um i could see if i if i was living a life where i wanted to frequently go out and take my camera with me but you know not have it be like primary focus of why i'm going out i could see a smaller bag making sense um but yeah this is not big enough to take like your whole kit for an event Yep, so it has, it has like the swing around side axis, which is good. Yeah, and mine doesn't have that. That's uh, that's something that their bigger bags do not have. So like the
0: more that we're talking about this, the more I'm actually finding it, uh, maybe it does fit into my life and more interesting, which mm-hmm. is kind of a problem. What do you think of side axis? I like side axis in theory, and I wish I used it more, but sometimes it's hard to pull the camera out and you have to make sure you have the right lens in there. But in general, I, I like it.
1: Yeah. I guess it's a good option to have. I don't know.
0: I, I prefer to have it, especially if it's like a daily bag. What I've grown really accustomed to the side access on peak design stuff, because if you're in like the travel backpack that I have, or you're in the everyday backpack, which I feel like if I was going to swap out my, my my, my, uh, maybe I should go with an everyday backpack.
1: It would fit your personal brand. Mm, It
0: would. Sorry. I, that's was a side thought, stray thought. Uh, the way that those peak design stuff is designed, it's like everything kind of has its spot, and so it's like you open up the side, this side axis, and you can reach these things, and you close, it, and you open up the other side axis, and you reach things, and you consider the stuff that's inside the bag as like, think of it as like a cube that has a bunch of things on all the sides, and it's like which side of this cube of stuff do I need to get to? The top, the side, the bottom, the front, and like you open up the pocket that you need to get to the thing, exact thing you need. And so that's I like thinking about side access in that way, Mm -hmm. but uh, this one where it's like just to get you your camera, to me if it's a camera bag, it's it's that's a a non-starter if it doesn't have a side pocket. Interesting. The Peak Design thirty. I'm sorry, this is a we're talking about nomadic bag, and I can't stop talking about Peak Design. Yeah, their thirty liter travel backpack doesn't even have a side access.
1: Well, huge problem. Like I said, mine doesn't, and it and it's yours doesn't have a side access. No. What is this? I'm fine with it. I mean, I the way i'm used to using that bag is when i want to like get my stuff out i set it down and open up the back and i like that i can pull it open and just see everything and that's that's how i want to get the stuff out of my bag it's like a huge deal bigger for me I, I have the sling bag if i ever want to be able to access my camera uh you know like on the go but yeah. yeah i guess you could also get it out of the top but so
0: for me i love the berretti when i got it but I've fallen more and more
1: out of love with that backpack. What I don't like about the Brevete is that it feels like it doesn't have enough form. Right. Like, I don't feel like it protects gear very well. It doesn't stand up on its own. All those seem like problems I to mean, me. I did that
0: whole review and, like, we did the drop tests and everything. And, like, it doesn't really protect your gear. The The – dividers to hold your gear aren't very good. Like I've seen good dividers, like the ones that are in your Peter McKinnon stuff and the ones that are in the peak design. Yeah. they have, are,
1: they have some, there's some stability they're
0: sturdy and they're very good dividers and mm-hmm. they hold their shape and you can rely on them. The ones that are in the brevetti, like if I put all my lenses in there and I don't put something on top of it to kind of like make sure that there's pressure on everything to stay in place, you you flip that bag vertical, and it's basically like all your lenses are just in a pile in the bottom yeah. of the bag. Yeah, it's like it's,
1: cheaply made.
0: Yeah, and it's like it just hasn't held up as far as like the rigidity of the dividers over time. I don't feel like it's protecting my lenses very well. I don't feel like I can put a lot of stuff in it. It's not very waterproof, and it's just like if I'm gonna put more than just one camera in there, I'm, I don't like more than a camera and a lens. Like yeah. I want to put a second lens. I don't feel good about it.
1: Well, and I, I want to be able to set my bag on the ground and not worry about like, oh, I hope I didn't put that down too hard. For sure. <laughs> it's like I, that that always worried me about the brevetti.
0: Yeah. So like the brevetti has kind of been my, oh, I'm going to go like, it's like a day trip or something. And I just want to bring like two things. Mm-hmm. And I've more started switching to doing like a sling. Like I'll put a snoop in my Timbuk2 or I have that and I have that six liter, Peak Design sling, because I'm a Peak Design shill, and that's been working out pretty good because I can do like one lens on my iPad and a camera in there. Yeah, and so like that's been pretty good. But I feel like they like my in between state, if I need something in that 15 to 25 liter range, is the Rivetti bag, mm-hmm. and I don't like super love that. And this feels like a direct replacement for yeah. that, where you have the flexibility to kind of like set how much non camera gear you want. It has the side access. I think my biggest detractor here is that it's too, it's too slim. So does it not have a laptop pouch? That, I mean, I would be surprised if it didn't. I would assume that it's kind of like a slide-in type, yeah. but I am not seeing it. that. Because like that, that would
1: be a deal breaker for me if it didn't have a... Uh... It has a laptop sleeve. It looks like okay. it's it
0: comes out of the back. So it does
1: have a separate oh, laptop see. sleeve. Oh, Yeah. Laptop sleeve fits 16-inch MacBook Pro. Well, how about that? that? That works. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it has the same like flap out pockets like your do you like those pockets yeah i think they're good uh they like i can fit a a roll of gaff tape in there or my uh, zoom h5 in a case which are two things that i frequently use in those
0: one of the problems i have with with backpack pockets are frequently they will they require consumption of interior volume yeah so it has like a like a side pocket on it and, like, it can stretch out a little bit to allow you to, like, put something in there. But if it's too bulbous, like if it's a 32-ounce Nalgene or a tripod, it will push into the mm, bag and consume point. some of the interior volume. Yeah. And it can limit, like, even my 45 liters like that, it will limit some of the things that's I can put in kind of frustrating.
1: There. It's like there's no reason they couldn't make it expand outward more. Which like, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the advantage of the way these Nomadic
0: bags are designed is that yeah. it, there's, like, a magnetic thing that holds it flat. But then, when you pop off the magnetic, it swings out, and so now all of that volume is truly exterior. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, it's like it doesn't matter how stuffed the bag is; you can always use the full extent of those uh, bottle holders, which is nice.
0: So, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty big win mm-hmm. on this one, and especially with how thin it is and like how slim that design is. Like having that extra exterior option is is pretty good.
1: I'll say the one thing I don't like about these bags is the appearance. You don't Uh, like it? it, it, You know, it's very different than the previous one. So, I mean, like the one I have is a like black waterproof type material. Like I'm really into that. These kind of, to me, look like a lunchbox. Like the sling bag looks exactly like a lunchbox. And the backpack is just kind of a bigger thing of that. So it's like, if you haven't seen it, it's mostly one solid color. And then they've got this like light colored stripe across it that I don't know if it's reflective or if it just looks reflective, but... I don't know. I just, I'm just not into this well, look. Well, you can
0: hook things to it. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm I'm mostly into it. I just, I have I have a like, trauma from that, that bag that I bought, that Amazon like $20 backpack that I bought that was mm-hmm. so slim that I felt like I put everything that I needed into the back and then I couldn't put anything else anywhere. And I yeah. was like, why even have this front pocket
1: if you can't put anything in it? I mean, this one to me does seem like it's designed to like
0: Actually, the more like that you, I look at this, stack, it doesn't. You stack even
1: one ha- direction, like you can't stack outward, basically. Yeah, it doesn't look like it even has a front pocket. Actually, yeah, I don't like, think so it does. That's fine. As yeah. long
0: as it does, like, as long as it doesn't have a pocket, you can't use. I mean, that's the other, that's another problem with brevetti is like, and, when, and not just that one. Like, there's many bags like this where it's like you have a front divider pocket to put all of your like little things, and then inevitably, like, you put a battery bank in there or something that's like a battery bank plus a hard drive, and now you have yeah. too many things stacked like on top of each other horizontally. and Now that stuff is pushing into
1: the bag. Yeah, and, it's and like, you're getting like like more pressure than you want. And like, I don't know if I can leave it this way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, isn't yeah. it just like it doesn't give you the flexibility to use that volume in a way that's reasonable. Yep. And it feels like this this one doesn't even have those options, which is probably a better choice.
1: Yeah. I haven't watched his video on them. I'm not sure if there's anything in there that would be uh, illuminating. But I mean, they, they seem like they're well-designed. I'm not super into the look, but that's obviously subjective. Otherwise, they seem fine. I don't think I have a spot for this in my life, but it sounds like you do.
0: Yeah, maybe. I it seems pretty cool. I always like seeing new stuff. And to me, like when I'm looking at these kind of backpacks for camera gear or even other use, things like 900D nylon, I've said this before, earlier today, but like even like 900D nylon and good zippers, mm-hmm. and like then you know like it's going to be a quality bag because those are, those are very good materials to construct bags out of. Yeah. And like this, this is it. They're using YKK best zippers, and 900D waterproofing on them. That's great.
1: Yep. Yeah, I uh, I shot something last week where it was raining when I went and did it, and I was really glad I had a waterproof bag. Yeah, so that's uh, that's definitely something I would look for.
0: Yeah, and 900D isn't waterproof, but it is tightly woven enough. Like it's better than like 600D. It's mm-hmm. tightly woven enough that it will repel. Like it won't totally absorb the water. Yeah. immediately, and then often like you can wax it or put like a coating on it mm-hmm. from the factory, and then it will have some sort of like waterproofing
1: yeah. to it. Yeah, okay. I think mine has mine some other material because it's. I mean, mine feels waterproof from the outside. Yeah, I think it's because they like they like coat coat the bag maybe so and yeah. i think that's
0: what's happening here as well for for these newer ones yeah
1: which is great yeah yeah
0: man that was a, that was a lot on
1: those backpacks Daniel. i did yeah um, you're real into real into those backpacks yeah
0: 2.6 pounds empty i thought that was important to
1: note and your yours is really high right Is well it? yeah i mean my backpack's I mean, huge you, but know, the 45 liter
0: is peak design is like Four or five pounds, or yeah. pushing six—it's very is a heavy. Lot. That
1: is a lot of weight to
0: just you know an unloaded backpack. Two point six pounds is honestly kind of on the heavy side, in my opinion, for something that's an eighteen-liter bag. Yeah, I feel like two point six is pushing. It. I mean, it's almost—it's almost, it's almost uh, half the weight of yours. So yeah, yeah, it's—I mean, if you can get under two, that's really, really impressive. And I don't—I wouldn't expect it to be under two, but this is starting to get a little too close to three. For me to feel like it's kind of like yeah. a light a light bag.
1: Okay. By the way, I looked mine up, and mine is eighty percent nylon and twenty percent polyethylene, which explains why it's more waterproof. Well, there you go. So easy enough. Yep. Nine
0: hundred D nylon.
1: It doesn't say on this, uh, <gasps> nylon, so maybe not.
0: I require more than eight hundred and ninety nine Ds.
1: <laughs> and mine is uh three pounds, so. Two point six for a smaller bag is like, you know, that's in line.
0: Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean it's the same manufacturer, all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So cool. Well, I don't I don't want to talk about the slings. So there you go. Luma camera collection, nomadic X, Peter McKinnon. Yep. starter yep. Backpack.
1: It looks like uh that's already funded. Looks like they're planning to ship in February of twenty twenty four. Cool. So
0: neat. Okay.
1: So I saw my, my pappy
0: yesterday, my father, and I was told him about how I started shooting film and I was shooting with his old Canon AE-1 and I was asking him about how, like, do you, you developed your own film, right? How was that? Is it worth it? What do you think about shooting film? And he told me about how, like, back whenever he was doing it, it was like, he, you'd shoot 10 rolls of film and go, boy, I sure hope I got one good shot. <laughs> And that's just feels like such a different thing. And like, he'll, he'll talk with his photo friends and be like, oh, these young whippersnappers, he doesn't say whippersnappers, these young whippersnappers, they don't know, they don't know anything about photography because they didn't have to, they didn't have to go through it like we did back in the day. And so I was like, well, the reason, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how I've been like shooting these rolls of film. And like, we talked about, um, not Kodachrome. We talked about, what is it called? Uh, there was a song for it. What's 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 the song, Daniel? Was yeah, it code was it Kodachrome?
1: I don't know. Kodachrome is pretty popular. I mean, I even I know what that is. Yeah. You can't even buy that anymore, Daniel. Maybe it was Kodachrome. Anyways, we talked about some
0: film stocks and that sort of thing. And I was like, well, I, the whole reason I wanted to uh wanted to do this is because like I was thinking about what's kind of different photography could I do and I could shoot like medium form I could try out medium format and like the cheapest way to do that is to shoot it on film. And he was like, oh, like a Mamaya 6-7? I was like, he knows the camera
1: numbers. <laughs>
0: but they have to be film cameras. I understand now.
1: You, you finally can connect with your dad about photography oh, by yeah. going back in time. I was like dropping camera brands and numbers. He's like, oh,
0: yeah, I remember that one. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. I bet that it, was a new experience. For it you. was like talking about Nikon. Wow. It was, man, it was something. And so he was like, why don't you just get a brownie? Do you know what a Kodak Brownie is, Daniel? I think I've
1: heard of it, but I have no idea what it is. Oh
0: my gosh, you gotta look this up. But I, I looked at—I I pulled up a picture of a Kodak Brownie 2, and I was like, "This is Daniel's box camera that he's been looking for <laughs> this entire time." <laughs> it's important that we talk about the two because the one shot one seventeen film, which they don't make anymore,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the two shot one twenty, and you can still get one twenty rolls, Daniel.
1: So what what made like why is this camera so exciting to you?
0: This the original Kodak Brownie released in 1900. <laughs> Jeez. Not 1900 something. 1900. 1900. 19-0-0. Okay. And it cost $1. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I feel like you'd pay twice
1: that for one now.
0: Yep. Jeez. And the whole idea was like here's a commoditized camera and then you could buy film for 15 cents mm-hmm. and you can get it developed for 40 cents okay and that's the equivalent of about 20 dollars today so 20 dollars for a roll of film to get it shot and developed which is actually almost the same price yeah that is now that's not
1: that because you were saying like 18 or something i think yeah, so. like imagine an upside down bell curve that's what's happened to the price of film wow
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that, that it, before the brownie Photography wasn't for everybody. But Mr. Kodak, he was like, what if photography was for everyone? And it's because of the Brownie we have our consumer grade mirrorless cameras.
1: Man. That one full circle. Yeah, dude. It's it all goes back to this. This is the original. So your dad said you should get one. Did he did he suggest that just because like this is a cheap camera I've heard of? Or was there some specific reason that he was thinking in 2023 that might be the film camera you want?
0: They made a version of the Brownie from 1900 to like 1967. Okay. So when he was a kid, this was the cheap camera you could buy. If you were like a kid goofing off and you wanted to have like a camera. Uh-huh. So have we talked about these, we talked about those, these new kodak film cameras you can buy that shoot two frames on a single film 35 that millimeter sounds familiar, I think and they're like a, they're that. like a fixed eight millimeter lens and they cost like 35 bucks think of that as a spiritual successor to the brownie okay you could like the that the, the oh, I wish I had the oh geez I wish I had the um the like the selling thing on it it's like any young boy or girl could shoot with a brownie <laughs> <laughs> just hand it to a lass. That kind of thing? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, it's like a, it has three apertures. It's a, the lens is like a meniscus. It's a single like round lens that you can like, I think you can swap between. And so it's like F10, F20 and F30.
1: (laughs) Jeez. And not, don't have to worry about focus with that. Yeah.
0: And then it's like, and then you like with the shutter and then you like manually advance the film. And it's like the simplest thing and so it's like what's the cheapest way we can make a camera that's accessible to get people into photography and so if you're a kid if you're like eight or ten years old and it's like 1962 i mean you're just gonna buy a brownie because it's like the cheapest thing and then you're just gonna shoot 120 film in it
1: i mean sounds pretty cool feel yeah. like, Feel like you should get one of these i mean you got on ebay you can buy like a brownie too for 25 bucks wow that's, that's affordable. <laughs> I'm, I'm like this close. I mean, I t- can't believe you. I, I was expecting you to pull one out of your bag.
0: He told me to buy a brand and I was like, maybe I will. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you said you for the current one, you can still get film for it? Yeah, you can get 120
0: film. Most medium format stuff that I've been looking at getting into like uh, like a P- Pentax 645 or a Mamiya 645 are 120 film. Okay. I think even a 6.7 shoots 120. It's just like how much width of the film are you shooting and then Mm. the six is the six centimeters vertical on the on the film itself i see so that's it man it's like the brownie ran for whatever like 60 something years and it's the original like consumer film camera for like for youngins where it's like here's a fixed focal length super cheap piece of garbage and you can make uh you can make photos out of it
1: pretty cool yeah
0: i had no idea i was uh I'm really into it. Yeah, I can tell. I feel like at minimum, I need it for my shelf.
1: Yes. Yeah. That along with that uh, that Zeiss lens. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those can sit next to each other on your shelf. Perfect. Yes. Right, that would be
0: oddly fitting.
1: <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com and you can find us on Twitter at CameraGearPod. We'll be back with more next week.